that is the reading for this morning. And um, like I said, it is a challenging one. I guess I wanted to begin by just saying that um, I think some of you may feel like I feel right now. I am very weary. This has been a summer of suffering. And um, I've talked to many of you, and I know that you too have been experiencing frustrations um, and even suffering. The virus has not let up, and it is taking a toll on our families, on our communities. It's taking a toll on our nation, our economies, our livelihoods, and, and it's all overwhelming. And I, for one, am weary of this disease. We have lost several of our beloved saints this summer. Don and Penny Schricker, John Bain, and so many of you have had family members that have joined the communion of saints this summer as well. And then with the killing of George Floyd, we, ex we have experienced protests and riots and we've been awakened to the issue of racial injustice. And that race part is particularly unnerving. I know when I bring it up amongst some of you, I can sense the nervousness um, about the issue itself. It makes us all uncomfortable, and I get it. It's not something we've really ever talked about before. And we are so deeply divided as a nation. I don't even remember a time when the hatred and the vitriol was so intense. I have been with families that are being ripped apart because of politics, and all are suffering, whether they admit it or not. And after all of these things, I am just weary. In addition to that, we have not been able to gather for public worship since March. When we stopped our worship services, we were told that we would probably have to stop for a few weeks. Well, that turned into a longer period of time. You know, we had hope that maybe by Easter we could gather, but we were not able to. And then we had hopes of maybe Pentecost, beginning of the summer in June, we could gather, but that didn't happen. And now we are deep into the summer. And we are still worried about meeting together publicly because of the veracity of this virus. It is just deadly. On top of that, I have to preach this sermon on suffering, which I know when I preached the sermon on suffering a few weeks ago, several of you registered dis your disappointment, your frustration, your um, uncertainty about all of this. Why do we have to deal with this? And this section of scripture in particular, which is attested to by most scholars, is probably the most difficult section of scripture that there is to interpret in the whole Bible. So then you might be asking, Pastor Steve, then why did you select it? Well, I selected it because I think it has an important message for us. And it is one of those key points of this book of First Peter, which we don't want to avoid any of these important issues. Let me reread verses 13 and 14 to be reminded 
of two things here. Now, who will harm you if you are eager to do what is good? But even if you do suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear, and do not be intimidated. Well, let's begin with do not be intimidated. When one is persecuted unjustly for the color of one's skin, for one's faith in Christ Jesus, that is suffering justly. And what Peter is saying is that it is good to suffer justly for the sake of Christ. And he'll explain in a moment why it is good. But he said, do not be intimidated as you suffer. The world will never understand our faith in Christ Jesus. The world will not understand that in Christ Jesus, there is no longer Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. There's no longer divisions, but we are all one in unity, one in Christ. That's what Peter wrote about last week, how we are to be like-minded in a unity of spirit. That is who we are as the church. And so we are not to be intimidated, and we are not to fear what they fear. That seems to be the message from the culture and the world and all of its powers today. Be afraid. Be very, very afraid. I don't know about you, but if you've heard and seen any of the commercials on television like I have, you know that we're in a season of politics. And the commercials are driven by fear. Either they're not going to have the police there to help you when you call, or you're not going to have your health insurance anymore because it's going to be taken over by the government. And so all of these messages from both sides come at us. Be afraid. Don't trust. But Peter's very clear. Do not fear what they fear. We have a different foundation. Our foundation is in Christ Jesus. And that that is the message that comes from Jesus, that Peter shares with us. Fear not. A message that is probably one of the most prominent imperatives throughout the scriptures. From the Hebrew Bible, our Old Testament, through the New Testament, we hear time and time again from God, fear not, be not afraid, don't be intimidated. Well, how can we not be intimidated and how can we not fear? Peter wanted these early Christians in Asia Minor to know that you will not always suffer. Even though it may be difficult now, your whole life will not be consumed with suffering because Christ Jesus has prepared the way. Jesus has prepared the way for you through faith, through the sacrament of baptism, but he has prepared the way, most importantly, through his own suffering and death. When you do suffer, 
Peter says, prepare to make an accounting. What he means there is, is prepare to make a testimony, a witness to people about the hope that is in you. So when people see your suffering and they don't see dejection, but they see rather hope and even maybe joy, they'll ask, well, how can you be like this? And it is our imperative then to tell them we are like this because of Jesus Christ, because he suffered for us, except he didn't just suffer for us. He died for us and for our sins. When you are criticized, when you are slandered, keep faithful to God. Keep faithful. For those who abuse you will be put to shame. The key to your suffering is really found in verse 18. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to that particular verse. And it says here, for Christ also suffered for sins once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. In order to bring you to God, he was put to death in the flesh and made alive in the spirit. You see, that is the cornerstone of this section of scripture. Christ Jesus died and was raised again from the dead for you and for me and for our life as believers, as followers of Jesus. And then following that, in verses 19 and 20, is the interpretive obstacle. Let me just share this with you so that you get a sense of how difficult this text is. So Jesus um, suffered and died, was put to death in the flesh, made alive in the spirit, in which... Also, he went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison, who in former times did not obey when God waited patiently in the days of Noah during the building of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were saved through water. All right, now there's a whole bunch of theories on this particular portion of scripture. But let's just narrow it down and simplify it. There's a reference to Noah in the ark. Why would that be? Well, what we do know <clears throat> is that um, there was a Jewish community that settled in this region of Asia Minor <clears throat> in the end of the third century BC, BCE, before the Common Era, before Christ. So in that uh, 200 years plus before Christ, before the Common Era and, uh, be, uh, ended, um, or before the common era began, um, what we had was this group of Jewish settlers. And so they came with the story of Noah, which was, uh, you know, amongst the other stories that they had in their Hebrew scriptures. But it was particularly important and interesting to, <clears throat> to this, uh, people who lived there because um, if you remember, Noah's Ark ended up in this region of Asia Minor, which we now call today as Turkey. And so when, when uh, Peter is writing this letter and preaching this sermon to these people, he knows that the people are familiar with the story of Noah. Even if they are Gentiles, even if they have never studied or heard of the scriptures before, it was one of those stories that people were familiar with. The author that I have been studying um, 
Carrie Jobes, um, has said that um, much like the uh, doctrine of, of purgatory, that today you don't need to be a Roman Catholic to understand that there is a doctrine of purgatory. We may not know the text where it came from. We may, we may not know anything about it, but most people are familiar with the concept of purgatory. And so similarly, these people at the time of Peter in this early church were familiar with the story of Noah. And so as, as the story of Noah is shared, um, Peter highlights how Noah and his family were delivered from the floodwaters, those eight people. That was Noah and his wife and their children. And then Peter says, so too, in a sense, you as Christians have been delivered from sin and death by the waters that have flooded you, the waters of baptism. Just as God saved Noah, God will save you as believers, even in the midst of your unjust suffering. And then we are told that we are saved by faith. And as the waters of baptism washed over us, they didn't wash over us to cleanse us from the dirt, or even the literal translation, the filth that clings to us, but they washed over us because of our pledge of a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In our baptism service, we still ask for a pledge. In the uh, in, in, in the service of baptism, if you go to your hymnal and you look it up, there's a section right before uh, what we call the exorcism. Uh, do you renounce all the forces of evil, the devil, and all his empty promises? Right before that is is the pledge, the promise of faithfulness. We ask, I ask you to profess your faith in Christ Jesus, to reject sin, to live a life now that's changed and different, and to confess the faith of the church, the faith in which we baptize. This is our pledge of faithfulness, which Peter is referring to. Peter is reminding not only us, but he's reminding those early Christians as they suffer unjustly, not to forget that they made this pledge. Continue to suffer unjustly. Don't give in to the temptation to turn away from God. That is the message that Peter is sharing. And the reason we can trust in God's promise in baptism is because Jesus was victorious. When God raised him from the dead, he entered into heaven and he was glorified. So he died he was raised from the dead, and he ascended into heaven. Those are the three critical points that highlight the victory that Jesus has. And because he shares his victory with us in the gift of faith and baptism, you too can participate in that victory. Peter is saying to us, even under pressure, Live in a way that honors your baptism, your pledge to a good conscience. As we looked at Christ's suffering a few weeks ago, I'm reminded of what Peter told the slaves that had become believers. 
in chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. Slaves, accept the authority of your masters with all deference, not only those who are kind and gentle, but also those who are harsh. For it is a credit to you if, being aware of God, you endure pain while suffering unjustly. If you endure when you are beaten for doing wrong, what credit is that? But if you endure when you do right and suffer for it, you have God's approval, God's affirmation. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you should fulfill and follow in his steps. To this suffering we have been called because Christ has suffered for us so that we might follow in his steps. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's been a long summer. It's been a summer filled with suffering. And I have a feeling it's not going to let up, kind of like the heat. So let's keep focused on loving those, even those who persecute us, so that we may become an example of Christ Jesus for this world. Amen.